Well, hello, everybody. It's good to see you. Good to be together with you. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Pathway, and and it's my pleasure to be able to open up God's Word for all of us today and looking very much forward to continuing on. Almost done now with our series, What's the Point? A look at the book of Ecclesiastes. And before we jump into that, just a hello to those of you who are watching in various different places. Maybe you are checking this out in the classic venue. Welcome to you. Or maybe you're on the Moon Camp. We're uh, thrilled that you're tuning in as well, and we trust all is is, uh, exciting and things going on there at Moon today. And uh, for those of you who are watching online, glad that you are tuned in, as well as those who are live and in person in the room, good to have you together here with us as well. Again, very much looking forward to taking us into God's Word, so welcome wherever this finds you today. You know, whenever we face major life decisions and and smaller ones too, there's oftentimes a question that comes up in our mind. A very important question, sometimes that keeps us from being able to navigate our way forward very well. And it's not only a question of, should I do this thing? The question is also, is the time right? Is the time right for, for jumping into this thing? And a lot of times, this is something that just sort of weighs us down, and we try to, we try to figure it out, and we try, try to navigate our, our way through it day after day. And it might have to do with any of a number of different things that come up in our lives. It might have to do with marriage. It might have to do with, with buying a house. It might have to do with all sorts of, of issues that come up in our lives day by day by day. Should we refinance? Should we move to a new city? All kinds of things come up. And And for Carol and myself, we had one of those circumstances specifically about moving to a new city back when we candidated for the position of senior pastor here at Pathway. That was many, many years ago now, but we came to town and the committee wanted to to show us around and show us all that the area had to offer. And so they did, and not only did they take us and show us where the Spotlight 88 used to be, not, not just that... Well, they did do that, but but they also took us to Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh beautifully sells this area. It's such a beautiful place. It's such a beautiful city. But we just kind of had to take their word for it. I mean, they took us down there, and they took us up onto Mount Washington, and, and we got out of the cars, and we stood there at the overlook. But it was so foggy that night, you couldn't see a single building of the city. I mean, that's how dense the fog was. And so they're like, well... Um, you've heard of the point and, and the three rivers. Well, yeah, well, that's right. Well, if you could see it, it would be right down there. And then they said, and Three Rivers Stadium, that, well, if you could see it, it would be right over there. That's right, Three Rivers Stadium. That's how long ago it was that we came to Pittsburgh. I mean, there was still Three Rivers Stadium, no PNC Park, no Heinz Field. I mean, Cordell Stewart was the quarterback of the Steelers back in those days. That gives you just a little bit of an idea. We didn't get to see any of the city that particular night. It was all fogged over. We did have some other experiences on the trip. We had a flight that was delayed and canceled and delayed, and so we ended up being late for an interview. We had the airline lose our luggage, and we haven't gotten it back to this day. It still hasn't shown up. We're starting to give up hope now that it's, going to, that it's going to show up. But one of the things that we knew for sure was that the time was right to come to western Pennsylvania. And so we came, and, and it's awesome when circumstances in life work out that way, but they don't always, do they? 
You know that they don't always. There are times when actually you might say it's more often than not that you're wrestling with, is this the right decision, especially in the big things in life? Is this the right decision? And is this the right time? And so we agonize over, and as we do so, sometimes we can get to the place where we sort of feel stuck. We kind of feel like we're not exactly sure how to progress, and we just sort of get stalled there for a while. And if, and if we're there long enough, sometimes it can, coming along with that can be things like anxiety and doubt and, and fear, and it can rise up over. This is a major issue for all of us. We all face those sort of circumstances as we navigate our way through life. So if there was a way to come to a place where you could have some confidence about the fact that the time is right, that this is when I'm supposed to move my way forward. Wouldn't you want to know that? I'm sure that you would, and if so, then you've come on a great day. As we consider what the text that we're going to be looking at has to say on this very topic. Now, we're coming right to the end of this study where we've been looking at where we can find wisdom in life. And it's all been contained in this book called Ecclesiastes. And you find Ecclesiastes kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. And I'd encourage you to open up a Bible and, and find your way there, kind of sort of in the middle of the Bible, even though it's in the Old Testament. Find, find Proverbs and, and Psalms. And if you just turn to the next book to the right, there you find Ecclesiastes. And Chapter 11 is where we're going to be in this book today. So go ahead and open up your way there if you would. From the very start of the book, Solomon, who's the author, has been called the teacher. And here in chapter 11, he very much takes on that role to help us to know how we might know that the time is right and what to do when the time is right. And there are a few different circumstances that he points to. And he says, in this situation, in this circumstance, here is a way to progress. And here's how to know when the time is right and what to do when the time is right. So he pulls out a few different things. And that's what we're going to do. We're just going to take a look at the those things that he highlights for us here. And the first of those things that he says here is that the time is right to make your investment. He gets this right out of the chute as we get started in verse 1. Here's what the teacher instructs. He says this, says, ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Solomon's saying to Make your investment in kingdom purposes. What he's calling us to here is generosity. He's called us to get engaged and to step forward and, and to do something with the call of God on our lives. And specifically, he talks about making this sort of investment. And what he has discovered for himself, and we've looked at that, this in previous chapters, you can go back and review that, is that hoarding your wealth and holding on to and not being willing to be generous with the things that we have is not a path to significance. It's not a path to meaning. He tried those sorts of things, only spending the resources that he had on himself and his own pleasures and all the rest, and he just ended up empty. On the flip side, he came to understand that it's actually in releasing those things and serving kingdom purposes that the value isn't just given to the one who receives or is on the receiving end of those resources, but on the one who's on the giving end of those resources. And so here he brings it up again as he takes on the, the teacher persona, and he says, here's what you need to do. The time is right to make your investment. Now, interestingly enough here, Solomon is saying that generosity alone 
should suffice. That just being generous, that alone gives you the meaning that you would be looking for. It certainly was the case in his life. And that's awesome, but he actually says, you know what? There's a benefit that even goes beyond that. That alone is enough. That provided what he was looking for. But he says there's something beyond that because you make the investment, and we're calling it an investment. Why? Because there's a return. There's something that comes back, and he acknowledges that there, and Paul takes this up himself, puts an exclamation point on it when he writes in Galatians 6, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So, he's driven that point home. Now, in verse 2, Solomon's suggesting investing in seven or eight ventures, which isn't so much about the number you don't have to be going around saying, well, I'm invested in five, but I'm not at seven or eight, so I better... It's not so much about the number. It's about excessive generosity is what he's calling us to. In the Scriptures, in the Old Testament mindset, seven was the number of completion. So what he's saying is be completely generous and eight, go a little bit beyond that. That's what he's suggesting to us here in the way that he is writing this. He says to do that, why at the end of verse 2? Because you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. That right there, that little phrase, you do not know what disaster will come upon the land, may very well be the reason that you struggle with generosity. It's the reason that so many people struggle with generosity because you don't know what's coming. You don't know what is going to happen to the land, or on the land, or in your life, or in your circumstance. So we figure the only way for us to appropriately or adequately navigate our way through that, because we don't know, is to hold on to the resources that we have so that we might be able to be equipped for any eventuality, whatever might happen to come down the road. And I understand that thinking, but Solomon says that's wrong thinking. That that's the wrong perspective to take on. There are a couple of reasons his rationale makes sense. Let me point a couple out to you. First of all, when he says that you don't know what disaster might be coming, we sort of jump to the conclusion, well, definitely there's one coming, and it's just around the corner, and it's going to be significant, and we don't know what it is, but it's going to be there, and it's going to happen pretty soon. That's kind of the perspective that we just naturally take on. Maybe it's because we have a sort of a negative mindset or we just know that there are difficult things that come up in life from time to time. And so that's just sort of the, the thing that we take on. And that's how we move ourselves forward. But why make the assumption that the disaster is close at hand? Or that when it happens, that all of a sudden we turn into these secular creatures that are going to have to navigate our way through the difficult, challenging circumstance, devoid of God, devoid of God's mercy that is new every morning. Why would we fall into that mindset? Why would we fall into the belief system that says that I'm going to have to do this all on my own, or that the resources that I would have put away are the things that are going to completely provide for me if that unknown thing does come up? Why do we make those assumptions? Could it be that Solomon's point is that you don't know what disaster might come or if it'll come at all? Or if perhaps it is so far down the road that the decisions that we're making in the moment aren't going to impact our ability to navigate our way through it in the first place? Why do we jump to the negative conclusion? It could very well be he's saying you don't know what's coming, so don't allow what may never happen to steal from you the ability to make your investment and get connected in with what God would be calling you and leading you to do. That's one thing. Second reason Solomon's rationale may suggest something that we're not seeing is to understand him to be saying that the disaster may be right around the corner. It may be significant. 
It may be coming. In fact, it might be your ultimate disaster that is coming. But does that make it wiser to refuse to invest generously in kingdom purposes? If we did know that that was right around the corner, would that be the rationale for, well, now I've got justification for not engaging and not taking part. Might lead us to missing out on the greatest opportunity to make a difference. Look, if you're anticipating heaven, you probably are one who already has an understanding that you can't take your money with you into heaven. You know that the way that you can prepare for that day, though, with the resources that you have, is essentially to send it on ahead, and the way that we do that is to engage in kingdom purposes here to get involved, to get connected. And that's what Solomon is encouraging us to do. Look, you don't want to play the timing game with your salvation to try to, to try to sort of navigate your way along and then just at the 11th hour before Jesus comes again or before you die to go ahead and now take your steps of faith so that you're sure that you're prepared. You don't want to do that when it comes to your salvation. You shouldn't want to do that when it comes to your generosity or any other step of obedience to Christ. We should be jumping in to be engaged, to be involved from the first possible moment. And that moment is now, and that's what Solomon is saying, so that we might be prepared. So he's telling us the time is right to make your investment. To make your investment. And as he goes on, he keeps advancing that point. He just, he just takes a little different look at it, or he looks at it from a little different facet. Next, he says the time is right to pull the trigger. To make your investment and to pull the trigger. Solomon goes on in the next few verses, he seems to have a pretty good handle on human nature and the way that we're sort of inclined to respond in, in certain different circumstances. Let, look, let's look at this. Verse 3. Interesting. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. The place where it falls, there it will lie. He's saying that there are certain things in life that are just inevitable. They're going to happen. He says, rain falls. He says, trees fall. Snow falls. passage doesn't say that last one, but we know that it does, right? It's inevitable. It is coming. And Solomon just lays it out there in part just to set up the bigger point that he's trying to make. And we start to see that in verse 4. It says, whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Solomon is describing people who are good at considering their circumstances, and as they consider their circumstances, and maybe this is you, you can see all of the possible good things that could come, but you could also see all of the possible negative things that could come. We're very good at seeing and kind of weighing back and forth, and this is why so often it's hard to sort of sort of to take the step and to, and to make the advancement or go ahead and make the decision. Because we can see it from both sides, and it's like, well, if this happens, then I should do that. But if that happens, then I should do this. And we just sort of get stalled there, and we get stuck. He's talking about people who are indecisive, and we can all fall into that trap. I used to think that I was decisive, indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. But anyway, in this case, think about it. Tell your neighbor. In this case, Solomon is picturing a farmer. This farmer is not sure if he should plant or not. So what's he doing? He's looking around at the wind. He's considering the rain, and he's like, well, if I plant now and it just rains and rains and rains, then my crop's going to get washed out. But if I plant now and that would have been the right time, then I'm going to rue the fact that I didn't go ahead and get... And he looks at the wind, and well, now wouldn't be a real good time because it could blow away the seed, and so I should wait. But if I, if I, and he's going back and forth on this. 
so much so that he misses the opportunity to sort of get his crop in, and so he's going to have a failed crop when it comes to the fall. And no doubt, he would have this sort of second guessing that's going on all the way along in his mind. And we struggle with that. We all do. Back at that time when we were getting ready to move to Pennsylvania, we had a house that we had to sell. And so we're going back and forth on, well, what should we do, honey? Should we, should we get a realtor or should we go ahead and try to sell it ourselves? We don't want to give all that money over here if we could possibly sell it ourselves. But we knew that the time was a little bit short and we knew that it was the middle of the winter and the housing market was kind of stagnant at that time. So it's like, well, it probably will get a little bit more visibility if we do it this way. But, but if we do that, then this is going to happen. And back and forth and back and forth we went. And then it was also like, well, what should we list the house for? How much should we, we had to sell it kind of quickly, so you want to you price it aggressively, but at the same time, you want to get everything you can out of it. You certainly want to get a fair price out of it. Should it. So it should be this high or should it be that high? And we're going back and forth on all of these decisions relative to trying to sell the house. And finally, we decide, well, we're going to have to make some decision. And so we make the decision, and we put it on the market, and it's sold in 24 hours, which is awesome. But then you ask yourself, should I have priced it higher, right? It just goes back and forth. You can just drive yourself nuts with all of these different decisions. Of course, it's a trap we can all fall into. There's always one more thing to be considered. There's another issue that might possibly come up. And we keep asking ourselves and we vacillate back and forth and back and forth and it keeps us from acting. Now, you're probably not going to be one who's going to have to sort this out when it comes to when should I put the crop in the field? But there are plenty of other things Maybe you're going through some of those decisions right now, maybe relative to should I get married or should I stay single? Should I take a new job? Should I, should I buy a new house? Should I choose this school or that one for my kids or for myself when I go off to college? Should I volunteer for this or volunteer for that or nothing at all? Fill in the blank for yourself. What are you wrestling to decide? And how are you going to figure out if the time is right? Well, Solomon has some advice for us when it comes to those sorts of situations. And first of all, he says here in verse 5, you can see it where he begins, he says, as you do not know the path of the wind. He says, you can't know for sure because you can't even know, he's talking about the farmer again, because you can't know the weather. Now, in the ancient world, there actually were some people who could make a general prediction about the weather, but they were often wrong. Thankfully, we've come a long way from those people who make general predictions about the weather but are often wrong, right? Our own meteorologists, let's not go there. But anyway, verse 5, he says, again, as you do not know the path of the wind, then he gives a second example. He says, or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, something that they certainly didn't fully understand. We understand it better, but still not completely. He says, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. All of us have times when we want to know more than we know. We want to have an eternal perspective, but we don't have it. We're finite beings, and that bothers us, but it shouldn't bother us. We shouldn't have a problem with that because you don't want a God that you can fashion in your own image or a God that you can put in a box of your own making and your own understanding. If God is only as much as what you can fathom in your own mind, God is not all that God needs to be. He is so much more than that. And we should be grateful for that. 
And oftentimes we are, but sometimes we sort of get in this, in this kind of knit about the fact that I don't know everything that I would want to know. But because God is bigger and grander and, and understands things from a perspective that we don't understand them, that means that there are going to probably be times when you're going to have prayers that seem to be unanswered and dreams that go unfulfilled and maybe injustices that, that go undealt with. And we can struggle with that. When we see the mysteries of God, we sometimes complain about the fact that I can't figure it out, and so God, you're doing something wrong. Of course, we don't have any problem when the mysteries of God are in our favor. It's a mystery why, why, why God would come and take our sin out of the way or why He would go to the cross on our behalf. We don't mind it when we think about the fact that God chose us for salvation or when He blesses the work of, of the ministry or when He gives you or the way that He gave you gifts and talents and skills and, and abilities. We're fine with those mysteries. We've got an issue with God all of a sudden when we don't understand certain aspects. So Solomon gets to the place where he recognizes that. In his own exploration, he comes to recognize and figure out the sovereignty of God, and it settles his spirit. And now he's trying to teach us and help us to understand the same thing. And so he, so he gives us a directive here as he goes on. Verse 6 says this with confidence. He says, Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. What Solomon is encouraging us to do here is to pull the trigger. To pull the trigger. Don't spend all your time agonizing over whether or not you should make an investment in this ministry or in, in that ministry, or make the investment or not make the investment, or to serve or to get in a group or to worship or to, to grow or to give or whatever the circumstance might be. Be. He says, stop agonizing over whether or not you should go and get baptized, and on and on and on we go. In those areas, he's already made his will perfectly clear. So it's like, stop agonizing. Pull the trigger. Go and do. It's already clear. God's already, but sometimes we back off, and it's like, well, I'm not sure I want to do that, so I'm not sure if that would be in God's. It's in God's will. In those categories, he's like, pull the trigger already. He even suggests that instead of trying to agonize over whether or not I should do this kingdom building thing or whether or not I should do that kingdom building thing, he says, do both of them. He says, if you can't decide between them, then do them both. He says, who knows which one of them is going to pay off? Maybe this one more than that one. Maybe that one more than this one. Just do them both. Besides, where there's more sowing, there's more reaping. And maybe as you do both, you'll come to sort out, well, you know what, I think that this is the one that God might ultimately be calling me to continue on with. And that's awesome. But what we do oftentimes is I don't know which one to do, and so I'm going to do neither. And some of us are stuck there, and we've been stuck there for a long time, and we're kind of on the sidelines. When ministry might be going undone. He says, you don't know which one's going to pay off? Okay, then do them both. Serve in the morning and serve at night, he says in his example there in the verse. Now, there are other areas where things might not seem 
quite so clear-cut. It's actually not the central point of the passage that he is making here, but, but while we're talking about it, why don't we just go ahead and address it for a moment? What about those areas that we were talking about, like getting a new house or, or changing jobs or getting married or staying single or, or whatever? Those are difficult decisions, and sometimes we can get stuck in those endless pro-con lists, comparing the two things together and what do we do in those circumstances? Well, maybe just a couple of thoughts in that regard. Whenever you're trying to make a godly decision, you should always begin with prayer. I know that sounds so very obvious and so very plain, but it's absolutely true. Pray faithfully. God is a God who longs for us to pray, and He longs to answer the prayers that we have. And as we do so, He will lead and He will guide. How does He lead and guide? Sometimes through His Spirit, just communicating to us, but other times through some of these other things that we might engage with. So secondly, another thing to do would be to seek wisdom from God's Word. Why do you do that? So you're sure that your priorities line up with what God's priorities actually are. Sometimes the reason that we can't make a decision is because we really want something, but we just can't quite bring ourselves to pulling the trigger on that. Why? Because we know that that's not what God's will would allow for. And so we wrestle and we sort of get stuck there. Opening ourselves up to what God actually would say to us is going to give us some clear direction. Maybe the direction we've been longing for all along. We just haven't been willing to embrace it. So another thing, a third thing, would be to seek wisdom from others. It's not unusual at all that somebody else who loves you, who's around you, who's a godly individual, could give you advice on something and they would see it so very plainly as where you don't because you're so close to it. Just be sure you ask them to give you their genuine, honest truth about it and not tell you what they think you want to hear. And then one more thing here, a, a fourth thing to, to look at would be to live righteously. Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and then the blessing of God will fall. Look, don't expect to have spiritual wisdom if you don't have spiritual obedience. Sometimes we're there. It's like, no, I'm not going to live for the things that God is calling me to live for. But why won't He give me clarity on what I'm supposed to do here? He will. We need to align ourselves. And things all of a sudden may become more clear than what you thought. Then once those things are in place, if you're feeling peace in the direction, then pull the trigger. Go for it. And if you're not feeling peace in it, then don't. But if the answer is don't, I'm not going to do it, then, then let it rest. Put it down. Don't just keep perpetually mulling over it. Don't keep the other person that you were thinking about marrying on the hook just in case you might change your mind and want to have them there in case you want to go back. Don't do that. Don't continually be making the pro and con list over that job. If you don't have peace with it, lay it down and let it rest. Let it breathe a while. If, if it comes back up again, then you can pick it up again and move forward. But you're being a healthier perspective having set it aside. You don't feel peace about it. You've been praying about it and you've been going through the steps. It's like, well, let it go and leave it there. Some of us just get continually in this process and we just mull it over and over and over and over and it just stagnates us is what it does. And there's no health to be found in that. So Solomon says, pull the trigger. Go for it. These are some steps. Again, this, this isn't exactly the center point of this text. What is, is this. That Solomon is saying that when you see something, when you understand it to be the will of God, 
then do it. Don't agonize over it, just do it. Serve, love, give, worship, volunteer, engage. This is so very important, and it's so very needed also. At every church, certainly at Pathway, these are unusual days in the life of every church. You've probably seen the statistics that are out there in our world that most churches today are somewhere between 20 and 50 percent under what their pre-COVID attendance was. We would be sort of in that 20-25 percent range of those who haven't found their way back just yet. Some are, every week we see more and more people showing up, but as there are some people who are sidelined, that means there are some people who were engaged in one way or another, and their engagement is also sidelined. Their volunteering is no longer involved, or maybe their giving is no longer a part of that, or maybe they're gone altogether, and so those things aren't ever coming back. Well, could it be that God is using this season, this moment, to get some of the rest of us who maybe have been a little bit more on the sideline to get in the game? We talk all the time about worship, grow, serve, worship, grow, serve, that we would believe that a win for every one of us who is a Christ follower is to be engaged in all three of those things, in a worship environment, similar to the one that you're engaged in, especially if you're sitting in one of these rooms, a worship environment, and also a serve environment that we're all involved in serving somewhere in the ministry, and then also a grow environment something outside of the worship service itself, a place to grow, a place to learn, a place to advance in our own spiritual understanding, like a small group, something of that nature. And it may be that now is the time. I'm actually very encouraged. Don't read anything like discouragement. I'm encouraged about where we are and where we're going. God has collected a group of people back together who are like, yes, let's go and get this done. And it may be that now is just the time when those opportunities are open and needed for you to jump in whether it be volunteering. If you're not involved in serving somewhere, then where might that be? Solomon says, pull the trigger. We know that this is a priority that God would have for us. And in the realm of giving, we have needs to continue to supply the resources so that we can continue to do the work of the ministry. People have been very, very faithful, but there are still needs that exist. And this might be God's moment when He is saying to you, now's the time to jump in. Maybe you've been around here for a little while, and it's like, well, I've just been kind of checking it out. Maybe now's the time when God would be saying to you, it's time to jump in. It's time to be involved. It's certainly what Solomon is saying. He's saying, pull the trigger. You know the priorities of Christ. Pull the trigger. Stop allowing them to just pass by. Stop sitting in the back row. I don't mean it literally for those of you who are sitting in the back row, though front row is a good place to be too. But anyway, you get me, all right? What would God be calling you to do? What is God saying to you? Pull the trigger on this or on that. And chances are you got something in your mind something that's been rolling around and you just haven't quite gotten to that place. Well, maybe this is the moment and this is the time when God's placing that call on you. So then lastly, one more thing he adds here, that the time is right to enjoy your days. This is interesting. To enjoy your days. Solomon continues in verse 7 with something that I think we can all agree with. Look what he says. He says, light is sweet and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. Amen? Yeah, absolutely. If only would, we would every once in a while around here, right? And, it's, and it doesn't help any right now that uh, we're kind of in this particular season of the year. Do you know that starting this weekend, sunset is going to be before 5 o'clock? 
That's ridiculous, right? Before 5 o'clock. And three weeks from now, there are only going to be about nine and a half hours of daylight. That's just wrong. We may as well be living in Alaska if that's what it's going to be like, right? I mean, never mind the fact that it's three degrees in Alaska right now, but uh, even that's misleading because it's a dry cold. So yeah, the sun is nice. Verse 8, however many years anyone may live, however many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness for they will be for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. That's encouraging. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is not anything if not honest and realistic. Solomon says that there are going to be some difficult days. There are going to be some dark days. There are going to be some challenging days that are coming. And we know that to be true, right? We've all experienced that. But it's interesting that in the very same verse where he says there are going to be dark days, you know what else he says? He says, enjoy your days. Yes, there are going to be dark days. Enjoy your days. And specifically there, he's talking primarily about people who have a little more time under their belt, as it were. He doesn't call them fossils or anything, but, but he's referring to people who are, who are a little bit more seasoned. These are people who've, who've lived enough of life to experience the realm of those challenges and some of those dark days and some of the, the difficult things that come along and come our way. But he says, I don't want those to unduly weigh you down. Instead, he says, I want you to lean into the things that can be enjoyed, the big things of life that can be enjoyed, and the little things that come along day by day. He says it's a choice that you make. That's what Solomon says. It's a choice. You have the option. So he says, choose joy. Now, that's not digging your head in the sand. That's not pretending that the dark things aren't real or that they're not there. It's simply choosing the way that you're going to navigate your way through life. Elsewhere, Solomon writes this, he writes, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Cheerful heart is good medicine. You probably know some people who have gone through very, very dark circumstances, yet they're some of the most positive people that you know. Why? He says, because it's a choice. It's a choice. You don't have to walk around in deep darkness. He says, you can enjoy your days, and you should. Then Solomon turns his attention to those who have fewer years under their belt. Verse 9 says, You who are young. Be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. It sounds like he's just sort of presuming that those young people, you know, those young people, they're just going to do all this bad stuff and then they're going to have to be judged for it. It's not what he's saying. Now, can they? Yeah. Is there an inclination to do those sorts of things? Sometimes in our youth, do we do some of the stupidest things? Yes. But he's not presuming that that's going to happen. He's simply saying, live your life with integrity. Follow after the ways of God. Yes, there is a judgment. Yes, someone's paying attention. So it's important that we would be intentional about that. But he's not presuming it's going to necessarily go, go negative. Verse 10, So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the trouble of your body. Sure, it's easy for him to tell the young people to cast off the trouble of their body. It's after you've got more miles on your body that it's more difficult to cast off the troubles. Any amen out there? Yeah, I thought so. 
thought there might be a few in that regard. He says, for youth and vigor are meaningless. Now, he's not saying that that it's of no value, that the youth is of no value. He's not saying that at all. In fact, he just said the opposite. What he's saying is that youth is meaningless in the sense that it won't last. It's not going to last. You're going to keep growing, and you're going to keep growing older. That's probably why plastic surgery in America is a $17 billion a year industry. $17 billion, and only the smallest fraction of that of those procedures are medically necessary. Only the smallest fraction. But the fact that youth doesn't last doesn't need to be negative because Solomon says you can still enjoy your days, whether you're young or old, whether you're treating acne or arthritis, whether you're treating ADHD or COPD, whether you're in diapers or in diapers, whether you grew up on TikTok or tic-tac-toe. He says, it doesn't matter. Enjoy your days. Enjoy your days. I love how Solomon is put on the teacher hat, and he's offering us some very practical advice for how to live. So, what are we going to do with that advice? Ask yourself where you are when it comes to making your investment in kingdom purposes. What are the things that might be out there where God is prompting you and moving you to engage? We don't just do it because there is a return, but there is a return that comes for doing so. One of those returns is just finding the meaning that Solomon has been searching for throughout this book. Finally, he comes to the place where he recognizes it, and he just wants to let us know that the time is right to make that investment. And when you come to know what it is, whether it's to serve or to give or to grow or to worship or to love or engage or to whatever it is, he says, pull the trigger. The the time is right to pull the trigger. And friends, that's so much what I want for you because that is the thing that is going to lead you to the place that regardless of what dark days might be around, that you'll enjoy your days, that you're able to because you're aligned with the purposes of God. So no more sitting on the sidelines. What is it that God would be inviting you into today? What is there that, that you would say, you know what, this is, this is a place of worship, grow, serve that I might be missing, that I might not be engaged in the way that I should be? Whatever it is, pull the trigger because the time is right. Heavenly Father, Solomon's got so much to say. And in this case, it's, it's so fun to see him take on this, this teacher persona, which he calls himself right at the very outset of the book. And he's a guy who has looked for his meaning in so many different places and just came up empty and empty and empty and empty. And he says, look, after this broad examination He comes to recognize the person and the sovereignty of God. And he recognizes where it is that we can grow forward, how it is that we can engage. And he says, friends, the time is right. He says, I know there are difficulties in making decisions. What if I do this and it's wrong? Or what if I do that and it's wrong? And he says, get involved. Make your investment. Pull the trigger. And enjoy. 
enjoy the ride. Enjoy life. Enjoy the ways ahead. Father, I just pray for all of us as we process what it is that Solomon is calling us to. As we look in our own lives and we examine, where am I in this regard? Where is it that God might be calling me to move forward? Lord, I just pray that you'd give us the courage to take those steps. That we would no longer be able to push it aside and say, no, I'm just going to be one who consumes. I'm just going to be one who takes and turn that around to be the ones who give, the ones who serve, the ones who engage, because that's where we're going to find that joy, because that's where we're going to align ourselves with your purposes and your will and your word. So, Lord, this day, move in us. Don't let us push it aside, but may we make our investment to honor you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.